Please remain standing if you would and take your Bibles and turn to Mark's Gospel. And uh, we'll be looking specifically at Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just say that I'm deeply indebted to Johnny Gibson for many of his insights that I'll be sharing with you this morning. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. It's found on page 844 in your pew Bibles. Hear now God's word. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And, and it's often cast him into fire, into water, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the clean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, Come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out, uh, but... Uh, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God uh, stands forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh, almighty God, the God who spoke and all things came into being. The God who is also our gracious Father. Um, we come to you today knowing that everything in our lives, everything in our salvation depends upon you and in our un true understanding of your holy word. And so we pray that you would grant us this morning to just be free from the distractions of the world and the things that want to compete for our, our minds at this moment. And we would ask that your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that worked in the ministry of Jesus, Lord, would work in our hearts this morning, that we might be able to receive your word by faith to glorify you. We thank you, and it is in your name that we pray these things. Amen. 
Well, let me just ask you this morning, have you ever faltered in your faith? Have you ever struggled? Have you, have you ever had any doubts about your faith? And, and I'll be honest with you, and if we want to be honest, I would suggest that we probably all need to say yes, right? Because that, from time to time, it's, it's really a battle. And, and of course, this can commonly come when we go through times of trials and difficulties in our lives, especially it seems like those times, our, our faith can very much be stretched and tested. But our faith can also be lacking during ordinary times in our lives as well. And, and as we come to our text today, it's, it's, a, it's a story of, of Christ healing a boy. But it's more than that. It's really Jesus dealing with the hearts of people who are struggling with unbelief. Look at verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Now, who's this faithless generation? Well, it's a little hard to tell, and commentators don't always agree, you know, on exactly who it was that he's addressing. But there were a number of groups that any one of them struggled with unbelief. Uh, the disciples, you know, they, they couldn't exert the power to cast out this demon, and, and they were wrestling. You had the scribes who did not believe in Jesus, and they oftentimes thought that Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebub. So they were probably delighting in the fact that the disciples couldn't cast out this demon out of this boy. Of course, you have the crowds that are sort of watching, and it's like, okay, is Jesus able to do this? Is he not able to do this? And then you have the father of the boy. In verses 22 through 24, you, you see his struggle with unbelief, and we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit uh, more this morning. But I want us to understand that as we come to this text, this is a good text for us to, to, to look at this morning. Uh, and I hope it encourages your heart because the problem we have as human beings is that we are born predispossessed to unbelief. You know, we're, we're sort of, that's how we're hardwired is to have unbelief. And we get it honestly from our parents, not from your biological parents, but from the first parents, from Adam and Eve, right? In the garden, as, as they struggled, they didn't trust God, that God was good. They didn't trust that God would provide for them as he promised that he would. And so we get that, right? But not only does that sort of come to bear in our lives regarding unbelief, but also the world in which we live. It's increasingly against God and does not believe in God. And so you know, as we go to work, as we watch television, and just everything that we do in our lives, we're, we're constantly being bombarded with this idea that sort of challenges our faith. And, and then even, and I was thinking about this this week as I was reading an article, actually I was reading an article in Psychology Today, and it was talking about fear-based media and how our media operates. And, and they, they said in this article, they said, fear-based news stories prey on the anxieties we all have and then hold us hostage. Being glued to the television, reading the paper, or surfing the internet increases ratings and market shares, but it also raises the probability of depression relapse as we, as we look at that. Because it, and they, they go on in the article to talk about how it used to be the mission of journalists to actually tell what happened in, in a news account and try to do that honestly, try to do that fairly, try to do that with integrity. But now capitalism has sort of taken over and instead 
there's sort of this idea of trying to get good ratings and, and acquire more advertisers so that the profits will become higher. And so journalists are tempted to look to the spectacular, the stirring and the controversial as, as news stories. And that's what they report on. Well, they went on in this article on Psychology Today to talk about the pattern of newscasts is, is to, as they're trying to get the story to get the ratings, uh, it often causes reporters to bypass thorough fact-checking processes. They just want to get the story out there, and they do, and they're not always so careful to make sure that all of the facts are straight. But then they usually come back later, and as they sort of, you know, uh, look at the, they sort of looked at the fact checking and they might correct things that were earlier said, but that usually comes at a later time. And it might be that the story on the initial report is on page one, but the retraction is like on page 10. And so it's sometimes not even really promoted that much. And sometimes it's not even really mentioned. So anyway, all this is important because as they go on to, to sort of highlight in this article, they said, uh, what journalists first reported with intense emotion or sensationalism ends up being no longer accurate. And, and what this means for us is this. They, they say, and I quote, it says, what occurs psychologically for the viewer is a fragmented sense of knowing what's real. Because you've heard the story and, and you've heard the things that are going on and you're like, okay, that's what happened. And then you hear somebody say, well, I heard that actually this is what happened. And you're like, okay, so which is it? And, and so you're sort of confused as to, to what happened. And they said that what, what this does is it sets off feelings of hopelessness and helplessness for people uh, experiencing and, and tempting us to be more depressed as we uh, look at the news media. So this is just one example of how in our world, you know, we, we have this temptation for fear, anxiety, for worry, even for unbelief, you know, as the media is promoting all these things. And, and, and my wife and I were talking this week, and we we're just talking about how it is for young people who have grown up in this information age. You know, earlier generations, we had a local newspaper, and uh, then every night you'd watch the world news, and so you'd hear some events that were happening in the world, one or two here and there. But now young people have their cell phones and anytime anything happens, it's like instantaneous. It pops up on their newsfeed and they're reading this and they're constantly aware of all the world, the evil that's going on in the world. And, and as Robbie and I were talking about that, she was sharing about an article she had read where someone says, God never created us to handle that much evil. You know, and so there's just an enormous burden that oftentimes comes uh, uh, upon people, not, not just young people, even those of us that are older, maybe even more mature and have had life experiences to learn how to handle these things. It, it's still quite a burden. But, you know, we live in a world where, we, where our faith is constantly being challenged and we're constantly being, having our attention drawn to things that are, that are contrary to God. Well, if you look at the context of this passage that we're looking at today, uh, you know, for uh, several chapters now, Jesus has really been challenging his disciples about their faith. He's, Jesus has basically said in the first eight 
chapters of Mark's gospel. This is who I am. This is my identity. I am the Messiah. And, and now as he comes to chapter 9, he's beginning to change that focus a little bit. Still talking about his identity, but now talking about his mission. And as the Messiah, this is what it means. This is what is going to happen. I'm going to go, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to raise from the dead. And, and the disciples didn't get it. And, and, and then the third part of Mark's gospel is not only talking about Jesus' identity and his mission, but it's really a challenge of how are we going to respond to that? And are we going to respond in faith? Are we going to respond in faith? And, and that's really what, what Mark's been getting at. You know, in chapter 8, uh, he's been talking to his disciples, and, you know, they sort of get it. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah. But then Jesus is like, yeah, so let me tell you what the, or what the Messiah came to do. And Peter's like, oh, no, no, you got that wrong, Jesus. And he rebukes Jesus, you know, uh, because he says that. And Jesus is like, no. And you recall, you know, earlier on in Mark's gospel, Jesus did this miracle where he healed this man, and he only healed him partially. Remember, he was blind, and Jesus healed him so he could see people, but they looked like trees. And so then Jesus healed them again, and it's like, okay, now I can see. And we talked about how that was a true healing that took place, but, but Mark put this in here for, for more of a purpose to show us that that's sort of how where the disciples were in their understanding of Jesus. They sort of understood Jesus. They didn't quite see it clearly, but the day would come when their eyes would be open completely and they would understand who Jesus was as he is and why he, what he came to do and how they are to respond in faith. So, you know, we come to chapter 9 and then Jesus you know, shows us his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the disciples are all excited about that. And that's great. So then he comes down the mountain and he talks about how he's going to have to die and he'll be resurrected from the dead. And they're like, yeah, they didn't quite get that, what he meant by this resurrection thing. So, you know, it's sort of this back and forth, faith, uh, unbelief. They're, they're just sort of struggling. And even next week, as we look at verses uh, 30 and 32 of chapter 9, uh, here again, you look at those passages, you'll see that Jesus is laying out his mission again. And it says, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. You know, they get it, but they don't get it. They have doubts. They mix with questions and, and, and things like that. And, and so this whole idea of faith is very much coming to the forefront of Mark's gospel. And it's a challenge for us, too, just in terms of our faith. Where's our faith? What's, what's our understanding of Jesus. And I want us to see this morning that Mark shows us several things about faith in our text. The first thing he shares with us is, is that faith arises out of conflict. It arises out of conflict, verses 14 through 18. So Jesus is coming down from the mountain. You know, like I said, he's, he's been shown his glory. The Father has given his approval. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. He comes down from the mountain into a context of conflict and opposition in verse 14. It says, they saw a great crowd around them, that is around the other disciples that were there, and scribes arguing with them. Now, what came to my mind as I read this text was a, a playground fight. You know, the teacher standing up by the building, and there's this crowd of kids out on the playground, and so the teacher goes out to investigate and they're, you know, pushing kids back or whatever. And there's these two kids on the ground wrestling and fighting with one another. Now, the disciples and the scribes were not fighting on the ground with kids. So that's not what was happening. But they were arguing with each other. And so Jesus asked, what are you arguing about? And in verse 17, 
It says, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it ceases him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And so clearly this argument is about whether Jesus is able to heal this boy who has these fits and uh, these, these conditions. And you might say, no, wait a minute, Pastor Rick, it says that the disciples couldn't do that. And that's true. But at that day and time, the student was identified with his teacher, you know? And so, you know, if they can't do it, then most likely Jesus couldn't do it. I mean, here again, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were accusing Jesus that the only reason he could cast out demons was he did so by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of Satan. So, you know, see, this just sort of proves that, that he's a fake. And you can just hear the disciples sort of arguing back. Well, no, Jesus has done this and this and this. And they're recounting all these events that we've read in Mark's gospel. And not only that, but they could say, well, yeah, but, you know, like back in chapter six, you saw that Jesus sent us out and we went out and we cast out demons. And so, you know, they're going on. So really within this passage is this whole idea of ability. It's sort of a theme that we see running through. Uh, let me just show you. Look at verse 18. The disciples were not able. They didn't have the ability to cast out this demon. Verse 22, the father says to Jesus, if you can. In other words, if you're able to do this. And Jesus says, if you can. You know, like, are you serious? But, uh, you know, so is he able? Yes. And then in verse 28, the disciples asked Jesus, why could we not cast it out? In other words, why weren't we able to do this? We did it earlier uh, in the ministry, but we weren't able to do it here. So the whole story sort of revolves around the ability or the inability of Jesus to, to heal this boy and to do what he says he does. And that's what the convert controversy is all about. Can Jesus heal the boy? Does, does he have the ability? Is Jesus who he says he is? Well, it's out of this context of conflict that the father's faith arises. It springs up. We see the father beginning to believe even within this conflict. And, and this is sort of a lesson for us as Christians. We, sh we should not fear conflict or opposition to Jesus. Because it's in opposition to Jesus that faith arises. Now, there's never an optimal time or an optimal circumstances in which to believe in Jesus or to believe in God and to believe in his promises. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. You know, Noah, he's, he's building this ark, but he's doing so while everybody's partying and eating and having a good time. And, you know, there's not a rain cloud in the sky. And yet he's, he's following what God says. Abraham. He believes God's promise that he will get the land. And yet, living in the land are all these Canaanites who are very powerful people. And yet he believes. You know, uh, you, you have Jacob who believed God's promises in the face of death threats from Esau. You know, so all the way through the Old Testament, you know, there's, there's really, faith is never easy. There's never an optimal time, never an easy time. In, in which to believe God in, in one sense. And it's the same way in the New Testament, and it's the same way today as well. If you share Jesus at work or in your neighborhood or with your friends, you're going to experience most likely conflict 
in opposition to some degree. Uh, but we need to understand that that conflict or opposition is the context in which faith often arises. Because its faith is oftentimes born in adversity. It's, it's born in the context of Jesus' identity and his ability. And so let's not fear that uh, as we experience that in our lives. I know for us it's very uncomfortable, but let us not fear that. Conflict, whether it's through trials, whether it's through denying ourselves, whether it's through uh, bearing witness to who Christ is, it is in those times that not only does our faith grow, but oftentimes the faith of those around us grow as well, like, like the Father in, in this account. So faith is oftentimes, it's born out of those circumstances of conflict. But it's also faith is born out of helplessness, out of the sense of just utter helplessness. <clears throat> Look at verses 17 through 22. Uh, did you notice as we were reading through this account how many times Mark talks about the symptoms of this boy, right? Uh, actually, it's four times. Look at verses 17 and 18, and, G, and, and the father explains what his son wrestles with. He, he, he mentions six things. He's mute. He sees, uh, the, the spirit seizes him, throws him down. He foams. He grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. Now, you, you would think, knowing what you know about Jesus, well, all Jesus has to do is just say something, and he's healed, and, and life is great. But instead, Jesus asked the boy to be brought to him in verse 20, which then, that triggers these very symptoms that we just read about in verses 17 and 18. And we read in verse 20, and they brought the boy to him, that is to Jesus, and when the Spirit saw him, Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Now, that's the second time we see those symptoms it, that Mark tells us about those. But once again, you would expect Jesus to heal this boy quickly before he heals himself, especially since it's not just a description. He's actually experiencing this boy going through this, so you would think that Christ would be moved to heal him. But instead, in verse 21, Jesus, while this boy is doing this, Jesus turns to the boy's father, and what's he do? He asks him, so, how long has he, this been happening? And he says, from childhood. Now, um, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody that sort of goes through like epileptic fits, but it's, it's, a, it's a scary thing. And oftentimes, you know, you literally just sort of step back and watch them go through this and they're, they're shaking on the ground and there's just nothing you can do. You're very helpless. Well, here's, here's a boy that's sort of going through that, that kind of fit. He's foaming at the mouth. He's becoming rigid. And, and Jesus looks to his dad and he says, so tell me his case history. <laughs> and you're like, seriously? You know, uh, now you might ask, why does, why does Jesus ask this question? And the answer is, Mark doesn't tell us, but the father just answers the question. He says from childhood. And then in verse 22, he even goes on to give more of a description. And he says, actually, sometimes this demon casts him into fire or into water to destroy him. Now, that's the third time we've heard those symptoms. And Jesus still has done nothing to heal him. Well, each time we hear about these symptoms, I don't know about you, 
but but our heart just really goes out to this boy, don't we? And to the father, especially if you're a parent. You know, you're just like, I would much rather go through that myself than to have my kids go through that. And you're you're, you're really wrestling. And so, uh, especially when you think about this dad, he's sitting there thinking, wow, from the time my boy has been young, from his childhood, I have had to watch him go through these fits. I've had to watch this demon you know, just control his body and wondering if my son would be hurt or even worse, whether this time the demon may kill him. Well, not only that, but I'm not trying to read anything into the text, but if if this demon had cast this boy into fire, it's very likely this boy would have had scars on his body as well. And so, you know, you're just looking at this and just thinking he is a picture of misery. You know, if Jesus should do anything to help anyone, it would be to help this boy. And yet Jesus doesn't. Uh, he Jesus is letting the misery play out. Now, there might be some who would be here this morning and think, how callous. But I think you have to understand what Jesus is doing here. This is also, the scene is a picture of utter helplessness. And that's what Jesus wants the Father to see. Just to, to experience the utter helplessness he has. And that's why Jesus doesn't heal the boy right away. That's why in verse 18, after he hears about the boy's symptoms, he doesn't just say a word and heal him. Or in verse 20, as he's seeing the boy go through these fits, he doesn't step in and heal him. It's the reason why Jesus asked the question in verse 21. Because he wants the Father to experience his helpless condition. And so Jesus is dragging this out, not because he doesn't care for the father or his son, but so this father can see his utter helplessness. And so Jesus is really, as we would say today in our vernacular, he's bringing the man to the end of himself. He just wants him to see that there's nothing left. He has no other place to turn. Because only when the man sees his inability and the helplessness of a situation will, will faith be born, which, which is what we'll see in just a moment. So uh, let's, let's just pause a moment if we, we can, because this count is really a window into the soul of what it means to become a Christian. If, if you want to become a Christian, you need to hit rock bottom oftentimes. Not, not always, but oftentimes, that's exactly what the Lord does. He takes us to the end of our abilities. And we need to come to the end of ourselves. We need to come to the end of our own sufficiency. We need to come to the end of our own strength. We need to feel what the Father felt. Just that total sense of helplessness, utter helplessness in the presence of Jesus. Because it's when we get to that place that as the Spirit of God is working in our hearts and, and that it causes us, he causes us to cry out to him for help. And that, that, that cry for help is, 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 is where we get, begin to get that first glimmer of faith that the Holy Spirit is, is, is working in our hearts as, as we turn to him. And so Jesus gets this man to, to tell the story and, and, and then he witnesses it and then he calls out for help. And, and, and that's where this man is. So if you want to become a Christian, the first place to start, you need to feel your total and utter sense of helplessness 
in the presence of Jesus. But let's be honest, Christian. If you're a Christian, that's exactly where we need to be as well, is it not? You know, sometimes we, we understand that sense of helplessness to come to faith in Christ. But then when it's God continues to work in our hearts and, and we experience those circumstances in our lives, those trials, those difficulties, and we think, I know Jesus has the ability to just speak a word and take this away. Why doesn't he? And so it progresses and we struggle more and we cry out to God more and Jesus does nothing. And sometimes we can misinterpret that to think he doesn't care. Sometimes, though, brothers and sisters, he's just trying to take us and bring us to the end of ourselves. Where there is total and utter helplessness on our part. And, and let me just say a word, if I could. I was just thinking about this in regards to our covenant children. You know, um, and I know what that's like. We have covenant children that we raised. And, uh, you know, you can just want to hear your kids talk about how they believe that Jesus Christ had, you know, how they're a sinner and Jesus Christ has died for their sin and they're putting their hope in him. But I would encourage you as parents, don't stop there. Because it can be very easy to confess that truth, but not own that truth. And it's really important for our kids to get to that point of utter helplessness and, and to see them live their lives there, parents. I know that's so hard. We want to do everything we can to jump in and help our kids. And, and, and we just want to see them succeed and all that. But there are times when maybe the Lord is working in the heart of your kid and you feel like such a failure as a parent because you think, oh, they're just wrestling in their faith. There's belief, there's, there's unbelief, and you just want to do everything you can to jump in there and you want to help them stay out of the way. Let the Holy Spirit do the work in the hearts of your kids that he wants to do. So faith is, is born out of conflict. It's, it's born out of helplessness. But faith is also dependent on the power of Jesus. Look at verse 22 through 27. You know, it's only after the father hits rock bottom that we see this faith emerging, emerging but this faith is a, a little muddled. In verse 22, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know, he's really basically saying, if you can, but I'm really not sure that you can, right? That's exactly what this man is saying. So he believes, but yet, yeah, not totally. He says, but if there is the slightest possibility that you can, please have compassion on us and heal us, would you? The, the father sort of believes, and yet he doesn't quite believe. Uh, the request shows uh, a glimmer of hope in his mind, but there's definitely doubt and uncertainty in his statement as well. And, uh, you know, this is not unlikely for Christians or for people who are investigating Jesus Christ. And maybe you're, you are talking with your friends or with your family members or coworkers, and you're having conversations with them and you're seeing sort of this thing where there's interest in Jesus and they want to know more about Jesus. And, and, and yet there's, there's unbelief and there, there's things you say that you just get so discouraged. You're like, they just don't get it. Uh, some have unbelieving questions about Jesus. Others sort of believe and are starting to believe it. But remember, brothers and sisters, it's a process. 
and sometimes a messy one. And so we need to be careful not to criticize those people maybe that we're witnessing to that are going through that process and that are wrestling and are struggling. Jesus lets this man stumble around in his belief and unbelief state, but Jesus doesn't leave him there, obviously. Look at verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can, all these things are possible for one who believes. In other words, this man does not yet have true faith because if he did, he, he would believe without a doubt but that Jesus could heal his son. But look at the man's response in verse 24. Immediately, the father of the child cried and said, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, Lord, I, I now see who you are and I want to believe, but there's still sort of this darkness of unbelief that goes over my heart and I'm wrestling with that. But help me with that, will you? You see, he's beginning to understand that he has to look to Jesus. And, and I don't know about you, but I think of all the prayers in the Bible, this is like one of the most honest prayers there is. It's such a beautiful prayer, is it not? And, and, and what Christian here today cannot identify with this prayer, right? We, we probably all have prayed this, and if we've not used these words, we've used such other words, because it's so simple and, and yet so honest. But, but the man realizes that the answer to his doubts and unbeliefs is really in Jesus. And, and that's good for us to remember, that, that uh, the answer to our falterings uh, our failings, our, our fragile faith sometimes, it's not found in ourselves, but it's found outside of ourselves. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not something that we need to just have time alone so we can figure it out. It is in Jesus Christ. Faith is dependent on the person of Jesus Christ. Um, so the father of this boy, he, he noticed, he sees this. Notice verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. So when this man looked at Jesus in faith, what, what did he see? Well, he saw the power of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to read too much into this text, okay? So I, I want to be very careful here, okay? But Jesus cast out this demon, and when that demon left, he left the boy for dead. And Jesus went, and he lifted him up. Now, it could be, and I'm just telling you, I'm saying it could be, I, I'm not 100% certain on this, but it could be that Mark is giving us sort of a, a shadow or a reference to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, that uh, Jesus has been speaking of his own death and resurrection throughout these chapters, and he's going to continue to do so. But here, Jesus seems to be showing in... in um, the, the power of God. And it's almost like Jesus is, is saying, here's a son who appears to be dead, but who I'm going to take up his hand, and I'm going to raise him. But one day I, the son of God, the son of man, will die and be raised to life, and there you will behold my power. Now, like I said, I don't want to read too much into that text, but we do know that that is true. 
that in Christ we experience uh, the death and the resurrection power of Jesus. And, and the creation of faith, the certainty of faith, the clarity of faith lies outside of us in Jesus Christ. And it's only in him that we see that power. That brings us to our last point. The faith is expressed in prayer to Jesus. Faith is expressed in our prayer to Jesus. Look at verses 28 and 29. The disciples wanted to know why they couldn't cast out the demon. And Jesus gives them a very simple answer. He said, you didn't pray. Now, some manuscripts say, and fast, uh, but some of the older manuscripts don't have that. So the ESV just has prayer. But Jesus said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, I don't think that Jesus was making reference to a special breed of demon. And he was saying, well, you know, back in chapter 6, when you cast out demon, those were just ordinary demons. But these were like tougher demons. And so you just need to pray before you cast them out. Or maybe you need to pray and fast before you cast them out. That doesn't seem to be what he's talking about. Um, but in light of the sort of this theme of faith that we see here in this text, you might have even expected Jesus to say, this, can, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but faith. That's what you would expect. Um, I mean, is it not faith that moves mountains? And in verse 23, Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes. So why does he mention prayer? Well, it's really not an either-or thing, okay? Especially when you realize that prayer is faith in action. Prayer is faith in action. It's funny, so often when we pray, you know, we will think, okay, I'm praying, but I wonder if I could do something about this too, right? Because we don't really recognize what prayer is, that it's really putting faith in God and his promises and who he is in, in, into action. Prayer is, as one person put it, prayer is faith turned toward God. And that's what the disciples had not done. They had not turned towards Jesus independent. They had become dependent on their own strength. But prayer is admitting that we don't have what we need. And, and in verse 20, we read, he said to them, beware, uh, excuse me, the, uh, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, not Mark 9, 20, but in Matthew 17, 20, which is a parallel account of this, when the disciples asked Jesus why they couldn't cast him out, uh, it's interesting that uh, Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. You see, so Jesus is, so evidently, it, it appears from the text that the disciples had been very confident in their own ability to cast out demons. They had done it before. And, and so when it came time for them to do this, rather than looking to God and what he had given to them to be able to cast them out, they were seeking to do so in, in their own strength. They had forgotten that faith turns towards God, not towards ourselves. And brothers and sisters, we are, we are saved and we grow in our faith, not by the strength of our faith, but by the object of our faith, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We must never forget that. And this is a good reminder for us as we serve even within the church. Whatever you do, you know, it might be Sunday school teacher, 
You might be heading up the meal ministry. You might be running the sound system. Whatever it is that you're doing, just because Jesus has commissioned you and gifted you to do something in the church does not mean that power automatically grows out of that ministry. It doesn't just automatically grow out of that ministry. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. You could very easily, just like the disciples, be ministering in your own strength. And maybe that's why our ministries sometimes are weak in the church, because maybe they're done in our own strength. But prayer is the means that God calls us to use in order that we might see his power. That as we minister in his church, that we ought to be people praying and just pleading with the Lord uh, that his promises would come true and we would see the manifestation of those promises amongst his people and out amongst the lost. Boy, if we did that, how would the church ministry be different? But we need to understand that prayerlessness is faithlessness, which is powerless to do anything. You see, little prayer results in little power. And that's a lesson that all of us need to remember. Individuals, households, that we as a church need to remember that. You see, the disciples didn't pray, but the Father did. He prayed, I believe, help my unbelief. His prayer showed his dependence upon Jesus. And it showed that he looked at Jesus for, for power. And faith is expressed by prayer to Jesus. Now, Jesus calls each and every one of us to faith in him each and every day. You know, I think oftentimes if somebody says, do you have faith in Jesus? We're like, yes. You know, because we think I prayed a prayer. I became a Christian. Now I have faith in Jesus. But that faith can grow weak. That faith can grow strong. And we are called to live by faith every day of our lives while we're here upon this earth. And Jesus causes faith in us in the midst of conflict. Uh, he does so um, in those times when we are helpless. And oftentimes we think we're helpless way before we truly are helpless. Isn't that true? For those of you that, and I have watched you walk through dark times in your life. And, and I see how the Lord just continues to take you deeper and deeper and deeper to reveal your helplessness. I see him do that in my own heart as well. As I think that I'm humble and the Lord's like, oh no, Rick, you got a lot farther to go. And he faithfully takes me down that path. You see, Jesus causes faith in us in the midst of conflict that's born out of our helplessness. And faith is dependent on Jesus' power. And, and it is expressed in prayer. When faith is present, that's when a person prays. The question this morning that I just want to leave us with is just very simple. This Is faith present in your life? Do you see that faith present in your life? Do you, do you embrace those times of, of conflict and helplessness as Jesus is, is working in your heart? Are you looking to him and his power to, to cause you to grow and to sustain you and to answer your needs? And do you express that faith in your prayer?
That's the, the joy that the Lord gives us, his children, that we could do that. And if you're here this morning or if you're joining us via the live stream and you don't know Jesus, you know, maybe you've been questioning, maybe you've wondered, but maybe you want to know them. He's calling you to that sense of helplessness, that sense that you have nothing in and of yourselves and that you are to turn to him and to trust that him is your Lord and your Savior. Let's bow this morning and just meditate upon this word that we've heard from the Lord this morning. Jesus, we pray that you would hear our prayers this morning as we, we cry out to you in faith. Lord, we are people that, that believe, but we struggle with unbelief as well. And as we come to you today, Lord, we come to you like the Father. I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, please hear our prayer. Cause us to grow, to, to trust you, to love you, Lord. We pray for the strengthening of our faith that you may be glorified. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.